Christmas everyone, the Foxes will be second in the Premier League on Christmas Day. A great win at Spurs, we review the action, look forward to United on Boxing Day and then Palace a few days later in association with footballkitmarket.com. It's for Fox sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake, my name is Pete Selby, I'm in For Fox Sake HQ and I, along with everyone else, and Rob Hayes, who's listening to this as well, hello Rob, um, we are second in the league at Christmas. How's about that then, Rob? Not bad, eh? And, and the best thing about it, I think, is the fact that we've gone second in the league at Christmas after a very enjoyable victory over the lovely Tottenham Hotspur. They are the lovely Tottenham Hotspur, aren't they? Um, Merry Christmas, everyone. This is a normal For Fox 8 podcast, and then we'll have a Christmas episode, which will be released at the same time, so you'll have it on your device, on your laptop or whatever, to listen to in your heart's content regarding nonsense spoken at Christmas about Leicester City and all the weird and wonderful stuff we've come up with on that podcast. So you can listen to that whenever, but this is dedicated really to the games that we've just had against Everton. Maybe not so much that game because there's not an awful lot to talk about, to be honest, when it comes to the Everton game. But then the Spurs win, and and what a win it was. It was what a great watch. And I, first of all, Rob, beforehand, um, I said to people at work, because I was working up until pretty much kickoff kind of I was saying look I don't fancy Leicester at all really don't fancy Leicester it's a ground it's it's a team we lose to away and then win at home or sometimes get absolutely turned over at home Harry Kane scored about 94 goals in one game didn't he at Leicester and it I just didn't fancy us at all especially on the back of the defeat to Everton and they they just they hit the ground running really early, but in a weird way, you look at Leicester against Everton and the way that they didn't perform, the the lack of energy that they showed for um, the vast majority of the game. There were parts when they were okay, but the vast majority. And then you kind of equate that to Spurs' performance. And when you try and look at and explain how Leicester played against Everton, it's very easy to label, and especially now after winning, it's very easy now to look and go, is that just that one game where it didn't click, it didn't work, there was a bit of fatigue, a bit of lack of energy, which is it shouldn't happen, but it, it does. There is going to be that one game, hopefully it's just the one game, where most sides will have that, that dip. Now, was that Everton for us, and was that Leicester for Spurs? Is that, because I think a few people mentioned that, and when they did, I went, do you know what? It kind of makes sense. It doesn't take anything away from Everton's performance. It doesn't take anything away from Leicester's performance, both of which I thought Everton were very good, but I thought Leicester were absolutely superb yesterday against Tottenham. I don't think it takes anything away from that, uh, but I, I do kind of nod my head to it and go, do you know what? It might just be the case because they were 
slightly off their game Spurs. They weren't as quick into the tackle and as tenacious as you thought they were going to be. And maybe it was just that. Again, it's not taking anything away from Leicester, who, to a man, were brilliant. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the, the matches kind of uh, were polar opposites of each other. They were exact reflections of each other. The Leicester against Everton just couldn't quite connect with enough forward passes and got out sort of out-hassled, out-harried, out-pressed, out-worked by Everton. Um, and that's really what you'd come to expect from a Carlo Ancelotti team. Whereas, you know, I, I was like you, I was I was approaching yesterday's game against Spurs with, I wouldn't say pessimism, but I wasn't the most optimistic that I've ever been before a Leicester game because you look at Mourinho, he's a manager of a similar uh, quality to Ancelotti, world-class manager, knows how to win football matches regardless of performance level most of the time. And the way Spurs have been going about their business this season even though they haven't necessarily hit any dizzy heights um, week in, week out, they've still managed to get the the results on the board. And that's exactly what you'd expect from a Mourinho team. So if we'd have gone into that game in the same way that we um, performed against Everton, we would more than likely have got turned over because Spurs are just more savvy in that sense. Whereas we did yesterday to Spurs what Everton did to us in midweek and we stifled Spurs they like you say they 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 were off their game in in a similar way to where to where, how things didn't quite click for Leicester against Everton so so it was very similar in that respect but I, I totally agree with your, your point about not taking anything away from the winning side either because we continued to force the issue against Spurs yesterday and we never really allowed them an opportunity to get into their stride or to build up any kind of forward momentum in the game. So it is huge credit to to Leicester, especially to respond so quickly to a, a disappointing sort of a bit of a damp squib of a performance against Everton to respond so well against a team like Spurs that are, that are doing very well and are up there at the, the top of the Premier League was was really pleasing and important, I think, as well, because... Now we've got a week until Boxing Day. It's it. I think it would have been a, a long week, really, over Christmas, having lost to two top four or top six at the time um, rivals, as it were. But but to get three points and and particularly away at Spurs is was was very very pleasing, and particularly with that level of performance that we sustained for ninety minutes. It's the style of which Spurs play, which pleases me when you look at Leicester's win and Leicester's performance, because Spurs are quite a strong team, uh, physically imposing. You look at their midfield, Sissoko, Hoiberg uh, and Mbele, three very strong physical players. At the back, Oreo, um, Eric Dyer, Alderweireld, they're a big side. And one criticism of Leicester has been They've been slightly easy to, let me say, not pushovers, but when it comes to a physical battle, just the nature of the side and, and the build-up of many of the players, um, it, it, they can get slightly out-bullied on occasion, which has been quite obvious at, say, set pieces. Now, the addition of Wilfred and Didi would go a long way to readdressing that kind of balance, but if ever this was going to be the case... Um, it would be against Spurs. You can get away with it against um, sides further down the league, Sheffield United, uh, prime example, because 
we are much better at football than them in in a complete layman's terms, but we can out football them regarding them the physical game, just as it would be if maybe we played a lower league opposition in say the FA Cup. But because Tottenham are a very good football inside as well, it's equally impressive that Leicester dominated the game for me in terms of skill, possession, and also they were quicker to the ball, they were better in the tackle, more committed. It was just pleasing all round. It could have been more, maybe should have been more. I think apart from really one or two kind of routine saves, there's going to be one or two misplaced passes late in the final third, which happened for Spurs. But apart from the one real decent save, Schmeichel was relatively untroubled. A few clean catches and commanding game, which was nice to see because the mistake he made for the first, he would have been un, you know, very unhappy with conceding the goal against Everton. He's had a brilliant season, an exceptional season for me. It's quietly gone unnoticed, Kasper Schmeichel's excellence this season. And also with the managing of the back line as well, the, the ever-changing back line, the managing uh, of the back line throughout the course of the season, Schmeichel has to go a long way uh, in terms of the performance of that bat line and how they've managed the chopping changes pretty much week in, week out. And it was a really good save from Son. At the time, I thought it might have been one of those, you know, it's quite easy for him to make it look quite flash and turn it away, one for the cameras. But I've seen it actually this morning, once again, I because I, Tony Cotty was doing the commentary for LCFC TV. And Cotty, I think it was his first game... Uh, being the pundit in the commentary when we went away to Southampton and won 9-0. And Cotty's great because he basically shouts when Leicester score. So the commentator's doing his piece and doing the lead com. And in the background, all you can hear is, oh, yes, or, or that's offside or penalty. You know? And it's good It's because he can tell he's right up for the cause. And it, against Spurs as well with his West Ham roots and this, that and the other. He, he was really obviously gunning for Leicester. But um, it was not, I wanted to hear him basically because I think he's very good on, on TV and uh, on commentary. And uh, what's that noise outside? Something going. There's been so much noise. The bins were collected this morning. How about this, right? There's a person listening to this. He might be. And if he is, um, a mate of mine who the bin day has changed this week and I didn't know. And my bin was out. And he apparently did it on a walk round, just out walking round the town, and um, saw that my bin wasn't out and uh, and put it out. How about that? That's nice. That's very kind. That's but very neighbourly. Very festive of him. It's very festive. The other end of the town, but he obviously come on a walk, walk through, and uh, there you go. Um, but yeah, there's loads of there's all sorts kicking off outside, so you might be able to hear that. Um, anyway, where was I? I completely forgot my thread. I'll, but, I'll um, pick up. Uh, I'll pick up on your point about Schmeichel, Pete, because I think you're you're absolutely right. He he would have been very disappointed with his um, uh, lack of ability to stop Richarlison's shot from the edge of the penalty area against Everton in midweek. But really, um, unless you sort of go through all the footage of all the games, it's the only moment that I can recall where Casper Schmeichel has made an error that's led directly to a goal this season, and that was something that. He always had in his locker a little bit, didn't he? In his in his time at Leicester so far, you you would he's very very good shot stopper, very good commander, decent kicker of the ball. But every now and again, he'd have a bit of a clangor, and I think that's something that as he's matured, 
he has managed to eradicate from his game. And, and the Everton one wasn't necessarily an absolute clanger because the ball skips up off the surface quite close to him. But it is one that, you know, if we're sitting here in, for fuck's sake, talking about Schmeichel being one of the best keepers in the Premier League, um, it's one that he himself would set himself the high standards of, of saving more often than not. Um, but you're right in terms of the, the changing back line. Uh, where's Morgan playing less and less? So Schmeichel with the captain's armband on as well. He's just taken everything in his stride and has been uh, a really influential player for us. And that, that that save from Son, I agree with you. At first glance, Son didn't make a particularly good connection, but it's instinctive reactions from Schmeichel to adjust his body and stick out an arm to prevent that from going in. And it's it's great that he's got that natural goalkeeping ability alongside all of his leadership qualities he brings an awful lot to our team one player which i think everyone was happy to see in the starting lineup and maybe slightly surprisingly as well it was rumored beforehand he might be involved but uh, timothy castagna at left back that played predominantly with a back four it changed on a few occasions when they had possession barnes really tucked into a more and noticeably into a more central position at times and helped out defensively which you need to do but it, it was really noticeable that happens it was picked up by a few people but whether barnes being out of the side maybe it was something that they've been working on for example maybe maybe even it could be a, a slight shift in position. Maybe they see Barnes possibly more as a more central role than out wide. Maybe that would be a position they maybe want to bring, say, Under into that place and move Barnes more in towards the middle. It, we'll wait and see. But when you have Castagna at, at left back and then the two centre-halves, Evans, Fafana, the return of Evans, vital, and then Justin on the rights and... Both of those fullbacks, of course, can play on the other side if they want to. Tillemans, Ndidi, and then Barnes, Madison, Albrighton with Vardy. So pretty much the strongest side they can put out. Maybe you could have Under for Albrighton, but Albrighton had a very good game, and it as did everyone. But the Castagna inclusion, who played for 60 minutes, and that was an obvious withdrawal after 60 minutes, uh, just in case of injury, whatever, that's what he was given. And he played really well. He surprised me with, because of his lack of football that he's had, he was straight into the game. He took no time to warm up for me. He was straight in there like he's been playing week in, week out. And would one player have so much of an effect on the team? Maybe not. But because of the increased performance from the team and, and the way that they moved the ball and they were really sharp into the tackle... Castagna almost led the way in that, him and Ndidi, and it was just the balance, really, of him having the left side. It gave a lot of confidence for the rest of the side, especially on, on the left. I, I just feel that they look over, and he, he's he's quite a, quite a tall, broad chap, and it might sound quite basic, but I think when they look there and they see Castagna, even though he's only played a handful of games, really, for the club, they increase their performance they they are comfortable with him there they go yes we, we've got him back we've got our first choice left back back it no uh, you know doesn't no sight really on on Fuchs or maybe Justin who's played over there but it is Castagna and I I really think the increased performance by those players especially on that side of the field and the way that they were comfortable with Castagna I don't think that can be um, underplayed I think it really was uh, it went a long way towards this performance overall even though Castagna's 
natural influence on on the goals and and and, and the forward play and the overall aspects of the side maybe wasn't as influential as he has been in the past but I just think his influence on the side was the fact that he was actually in the side. Yeah, it's a huge boost for supporters, but obviously for the players as well to have these players back from injury because he showed in his brief spell as a Leicester player so far, Timothy Castagna, that he has an awful lot to add to our team uh, defensively and from an attacking point of view as well. And he brings an awful lot of flexibility to the team as well, which I, which I particularly like because... We we spoke a couple of weeks ago about um, Brendan Rodgers changing things tactically within the match uh, against Brighton to to match their shape and to to sort of optimize certain spaces on the on the field of play. You start with Castagna and um, Justin and also all Brighton in the team, and yet we could fig- you can figure it out from the way that Leicester City Football Club put the graphic up on their social media channels as to how Leicester are going to start the game um and it looked like it was going to start with a back four which I was quite pleased to see actually um but you know we we had the flexibility there if it wasn't quite working out and we needed to tweak things just into tuck into a 3 and then you'd have all Brighton and Castagna as your wing backs and then you'd have Tielemans and Adidi in the middle, uh, and then Madison and Barnes playing off of Vardy, or Madison playing off of Vardy and Barnes, whichever way you wanted to work it. So having Castagna back is a huge boost for, in terms of the quality of player that he is, and I, I agree with you as well. He, he looked right up to speed, which I think is probably why it's been a few weeks longer than we necessarily expected uh, in terms of his return. Um, and he got a good solid hour in, which is great for us, especially going into the festive period and the fixture congestion to have him having an hour. It gave Fuchs a game off. Uh, it allowed Daniel Amasi to come on and get himself half an hour and get back um, into the swing of things. And he's uh, another versatile player. He came on at right back and moved Justin over to left back. Amasi can very comfortably play in a back three as well, which we saw at the beginning of the season. So those two players coming back is a huge boost to the options that we have because, yes, our defence have done fantastically well, uh, in particular with the injury problems, but having Castagna and Amati back gives us a lot more flexibility to play a three or play a four and change that within the game as well. So it's good that we've got this kind of league position second at Christmas and we're now welcoming back um, Castagna. And and I think Amati is one of those, he's been at the club for a long time and nobody's really totally sure from a fan's point of view where he fits in or, you know, whether it's been injury or whether it's been out of favour or whether it's just been the fact that he's possibly not quite good enough to play for Leicester is the reason he's not featured as much as you might have hoped over the last few years. Obviously, he's had his fair share of serious injury problems, but he seems to be trusted by Brendan Rodgers. You don't bring somebody on with half an hour to go when you've got somebody reliable like Fuchs on the bench who you know what you're going to get from him. You don't bring a Marty on with half an hour to go when you're making sure that you're seeing out a game against Spurs with a view to going second in the league unless you totally trust him and you think he's a good enough player. So hopefully that he can he can get back to a level where he can make a positive contribution to the team as well. But it was great to see both of them back. And I agreed wholeheartedly about Castagna he's a hugely he will be a hugely important player for us for the rest of the season 
I agree with the the Armati fact that Brendan Rodgers, I think he really likes him as a player. He is, and it, it we all know about the injury problems we've had at the back, but when you really just put down on paper, the two returning players are Timothy Castagna and Daniel Armati, two defenders, and the two players who are still out are Caglacio Unchu and Ricardo Pereira, two first-team defenders. So there's your four defenders. It's ridiculous, isn't it, when you think about it, but... Almaty, for me, is a better player and a better option than someone like Christian Fuchs. No slight on him at all, but he's more physical. He's more, he's he's better in the air. Fuchs has been caught out on a couple of occasions in the air. I still think he's done extremely well this season, but Almaty would be ahead of him in many ways. He's also very versatile. I think in a back three, he would be great because he could play anywhere in a back three. He's one of those players you think... He he looks really committed to the cause and hopefully some of his rashness, which because he was a defensive midfielder, he, he wanted to play with play with the ball essentially. It's the what you see with Wesley Fafana, who I think really weren't really mentioned an awful lot during the review of this Spurs game, but he had a a, a quietly excellent game, I thought. But um Armati, I, I can only see him benefiting playing alongside the likes of Someone like, say, Johnny Evans and, and, and looking at the likes of Soyuncu and especially Wesley Fafana, because Fafana's obviously a young lad and he's got that. And also Soyuncu, he's got that in him, hasn't he, which we mentioned on a number of occasions, where they can just maybe overstep the line slightly, try and get into the tackle quicker, uh, maybe go for the ball earlier, maybe get dragged out of position, be a bit gung-ho compared to, say, an Evans. Now... Armati's got that, but then I think Armati can look and go, hang on, he might lose that just through the unfortunate nature of, say, injuries. It might just readdress his kind of view on things and go, no, I am a defender. I am going to kind of just stand back here and go, right, hang on, I'm not going to go as I would have done before because of injuries, etc. I'm going to just try and do the basics and, and do them so well that I'm essentially given a new contract to the club because of, of that and not, not because of other reasons. And I think Armati, in the long run, could turn into a very, very useful central slash wide of a three centre-half or even obviously at fullback. Um, I think he's an extremely useful member of the squad. Along with, say, a Papi Mendy, he more than likely is happy to be there, paid a lot of money, playing for a very good team and going, yep, I know I'm not going to be playing all the time, but, you know, this is a good place to be. And also the fact that he's been looked after so well after injuries, again, the the, the Mendy factor as well would come into that. So a, a really, really useful player to have. You throw him into the mix with Castagna, can play both sides. James Justin can play both sides. All right, and you mentioned as well. It's it's really good to have these players not only flexible, but also excelling in those positions. It's not a case of, oh, he can make do there, It's uh, which is actually what we've had to, to do this season already. But uh, it's not a case of, oh, we're just going to have to try and get 11 players on the pitch they're actually very decent in those positions but it, it so it's great to see him back and also the trust that Rogers puts into into him but looking at the game overall the penalty decision now maybe this is just my good nature but everyone's saying oh it, it looked a penalty straight away well in real time I must admit it did when when it happened and a lot of players put their hands in the air and the referee who I thought was okay. A lot of people saying he, he didn't have a great game. Well, I, I don't know. There was one or two 
Um, there was one or two tackles from both sides that came in where the referee just let it play because it was, okay, you've got the slight advantage and then the ball was moved forward and a tackle and he let the game flow slightly. There was one or two he, he missed out on. But overall, I do, I quite like that. Even if one or two tackles are going to be missed out and obvious fouls maybe not given. But I'd rather have it that way than someone who is nitpicky and blowing his whistle all the time. So there, was, there was at least two or three throughout the game tussles where almost the players kind of stopped playing because they were looking at the ref going, well, that that's going to be a foul, surely. And the ref's like, well, play on, just get on with the game. And I like that. That's just a kind of a, a personal thing with me. So I initially thought that it was a foul, but my straight, straight away I thought, well, is the ref just playing on, i.e. it's right towards the end of the half? Um, and he knows this is going to be watched by VAR. So let's just get on with the game, more than likely blow for half-time, and then we could come back for the penalty, which has already happened in the Premier League this year. I might be amazingly wider than Mark there and being very festively generous with that. Um, the the one thing, the, the arguments against that, arguing against my own point of view, is that Spurs were actually on the attack and it was a back heel that didn't quite work out. So if they went and scored, it would have caused all sorts of issues then if it went to VAR and then we got the penalty, etc. But there you go. You know, the referee doesn't know that they're going to go down the other end and score. He can't predict that or think that because that's not his job. So I'm going to be very kind to the referee and go, I think he maybe knew that was a penalty, but went, do you know what? Let's just get to VAR, and if it's being given, then I'm going to be told to go to the touchline. And then when you see it, you go, actually, that is a penalty, isn't it? So I'm going to be generous. Stuck away by Vardy. I was actually quite nervous with the penalty with Vardy. I don't know what it was. His his mannerisms as he stood there. Normally, he's got his hands on his hips, and he's looking round. But this time he wasn't. He was very still, hands by his side, looking at the goal. And I, I was kind of half thinking to myself, I wonder, does, he, does he know what he's going to do with this? And then in the end, he went for the, the straightforward smash down the middle, quite low. I don't think he caught it very well, but um, it goes in the back of the net. That's all that counts. And we're one up at half time. That is literally all that matters. You can have the worst connection in the world. As long as it goes in the back of the net and beats the goalkeeper, that's all it's about. And I think he hit it hard enough. Maybe I'd like to have seen it lifted off the floor a little bit because if Lloris hasn't quite fully committed to the dive, he could have kept that out with his feet. But yeah, the 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 officiating is, is an interesting one as, as it has been all season and all throughout last season, really. Um, now, if, if assistant referees are being told if they're not 100% sure to not flag and let VAR do its thing, then there's every chance that the referees are being told that as well. Now, I don't particularly agree with that. I think it should be the referee should make the on-field decision uh, there and then in terms of what they think and not even be thinking about VAR at the time. And then if VAR deems it necessary to get involved, they can do whatever they're doing in the background and then let the referee know. So I I would hope, actually, that the, the referee looked at it and in his own mind thought not a pen and played on for that reason i'm i'm hoping that it's not your um your point pete that he that he kind of thought it might be but he'd let var do the rest because you're going to get yourself to a point there where you don't need a referee on the pitch and, and obviously that would never happen but you know it it the, the the bloke with the whistle on the pitch should be 
in total command and then should be supported by the video assistant referee, not be waiting for the video assistant referee to make the decisions for them. So I'm hoping it's just a case of he he was quite um, good in many ways at letting things go. And and I I totally agree with you. I, I think there are so many silly little stop-start fouls that happen in the Premier League these days um, that it was nice to watch a good competitive physical game be allowed to run its natural course more often than not. So it might just be that he was in one of their moods where he wasn't giving anything for what he thought was minimal contact and therefore that was his on-field decision with the penalty. I'd like it to have been that way um, and that he was prepared to stand by his decision and then be corrected by VAR rather than trying to second-guess himself in live play because I think that's going to lead to some even more rogue refereeing decisions if 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 that is. But how can it not be in the back of their mind? It, it's got to be, hasn't it? Because VAR is such a talked-about thing. There's been something to talk about from VAR from practically every single game since it came in. So if we're talking about it and the pundits are talking about it, all the supporters are talking about it, of course it's going to be in the referee's mind. But I think that's quite a dangerous path to be going down if the referees are not necessarily committing to what they believe is their on-field decision, knowing that somebody watching it on a screen in Stockley Park will will back them up or change their mind. Oh, definitely. Absolutely, 100% agree. Yeah, it needs to be the referee's decision. The fact is, it's definitely crept in. It's 100% with the... With the assistant referees, with with the referees, I think it, it has done. It, it can't not, and um, and and sometimes it can be slightly beneficial. But I, I, overall, I completely agree, and I think many many people know my view on VAR. And we can look at then at the, the offside for for Madison. It was a a real shame because it was a great ball by Justin, and then Madison's running behind, fantastic control with his left foot, a real piece of skill, and a really nice finish as well, and. That but and I know it doesn't count, but that goal is what we want to see from Madison, who, to be honest, has has been really, really good in the last few games, hasn't he? He really has um, turned the corner in terms of form. Still, one or two set plays are slightly dodgy, but over his overall play, now he's more central, nearer to Vardy, with the three in behind Vardy when they play four at the back. It it really has helped Madison. I think another really good game. And uh, it was just a shame because it was an exceptional piece of football. Brilliant control by his left foot. And then again, that finish. Now, is he offside? Of course he is. He is offside. Because guess what? The lines said it was offside. Now, from real time and from the the still, it didn't look offside, did it? It looked absolutely fine. You got the right back, uh, Aurier. Just look, it's like, well, he's in front of him. So there you go. He's going to be playing him on side. And then when they draw the lines, it's like... But then was he... Was it from exactly when it was the ball was kicked? End of the day, you could argue until the cows come home. There was a decision later uh, for Aston Villa where Ollie Watkins, another goal ruled out for him. And that looked terrible because I don't know where they were drawing the line on his shirt because it wasn't on his shirt. It, I don't know what was going on there. I took one look at that and went, that's, that's a horrendous decision. And I had a quick chat with a mate who's a Villa fan. And he said, well, that Madison one was terrible. I said, yeah, but... it." Yours wasn't directly with his where his sleeve was. It, it, I don't know what they were doing. He says, "Yeah, that's kind of what we thought." But there you go. Yeah, we could be here till the cows come home, like I said about VAR. So it was a real shame. It just didn't look. I, 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 for one, 
never imagined. I think the referee's assistant, if you asked uh, him or her, I don't know who it was, if you asked them, was that offside? You know, would you have put your flag up? Never in a million years would he flag, and it would have been fine. No one would have would have thought any worse. There's not a single Spurs fan out there, I believe, who would have thought that was offside, even with the still before they put the lines on. But there you go. Real shame because it would have been a great goal. But we got then the second goal pretty much straight away after. It wasn't long. I don't know what the actual time was between the two. It couldn't have been long at all. A really nice ball by Albrighton. What the Spurs were doing, letting him get forward. Sissoko jogging back, really well picked up on uh, by our Dion Dublin on match of the day two later on uh, after the sports personality. They had um, his assessments of the game was very good, looking at Albrighton and looking at uh, Justin and the way that they worked. But all Brighton just jogging forward essentially towards the penalty area. Uh, Vardy kind of in and around and not really making any direct runs or anything, but no one got to All Brighton. Nice floated ball in. And Sissoko all of a sudden went, Well, actually, this guy who's four yards in front of me, who I've been kind of just jogging back with, actually, I need to be the other side of him. Made no then attempt to head the ball. Vardy climbed over the back and, and got a header in. Of course, it comes off the thigh of Alderweireld, and we're tuning it up. And it was a deserved tuning it up after the disallowed goal, but it showed the hunger and desire of Vardy to get up. A, a lovely ball by Albrighton, a kind of a classic Albrighton delivery, and then um, and, and we're tuning it up. And we're not home and hose, but it's a a deserved two 0 lead because even though Spurs came out in the second half and put a bit of pressure on early. It was still relatively... Well, no, it wasn't even relative. It was comfortable. If you're anything to do with Spurs, uh, Leicester's second goal is an absolute travesty. It's a really, really poor goal to concede because Albrighton just sort of ambles into the Spurs half. And, you know, you can say what you want about Mark, Mark Albrighton, but more often than not, he's going to put a ball into the box that is going to cause the defender some problems or it's, it's going to need to be defended. He's probably... Um, one of the one of the players that well probably the best player at Leicester in terms of putting a ball into the box that is going to need defending. Does he always pick out a player? Absolutely not. Is it always the right option? Not always. But what it does do is put the defenders under pressure. It makes them have to deal with something, and they didn't get tight enough to Albrighton because look Albrighton can swing a ball in with half a yard of space he doesn't need to beat anybody he doesn't need acres to, to put a ball into an area we've seen that over the years in, in a Leicester shirt he's, he's incredible at it but to be given that amount of time and space to sort of wander into the Spurs half and then just go you know what I'm going to make this really difficult because that kind of ball that is so deep is from a from an amateur centre-back's point of view, it's the worst one because you're constantly trying to glance over your shoulder to see where the striker is and judge the flight of the ball and make sure that you're getting up there. And Alderweireld's not managed it. And then you, the, the next thing as a centre-back you're looking for is your full-back to be tucking round and to be goal side of the man. And Sissoko, obviously, makes your full-back. Aurier's been pulled off for, for winks because... Aurier's had one of his classic nightmare matches and they've tried to sort of get a bit more going through the middle with Winks coming into the midfield and then they've just bunged Sissoko at right back. And that's that's where when you're putting players into positions that they're not specialists at, that kind of half a yard is of, of lack of positional sense is all that's needed for Vardy to steal in. And it's, it's then quite comical the way that it just kind of 
comes off of Alderweireld's thigh and just ends up in the back of the net. It's a really, really poor goal from a Spurs point of view to concede. And you ask the question, if they had an actual right back on the pitch, would Leicester have scored that? Probably not. But also, if they'd applied more pressure in the centre of midfield to stop Albrighton having all that time to swing the ball in, would they have conceded it? Probably not. They could have done a lot to stop the goal. But it was, as you say, no less than Leicester deserved because... The Madison goal, I think he's put on social media himself that uh, that VAR found that one of his armpit hairs was like a half an inch offside or something daft like that. Um, but it it was a settler, wasn't it? it? Particularly to have got the the penalty just at the end of the first half, which made the scoreline, I think, reflective of how the game was going. I think the longer that game had gone nil-nil, or even the longer the second half had gone on and we'd still been at 1-0, the more Spurs would have thought, would have fancied at least a point from the game just because of the winning mentality and the grittiness that Mourinho brings to all of his teams. So the second goal, particularly after having the Madison one chalked off, the second goal was really, really important, but a poor one from Spurs' point of view to concede. Yeah, it was. And it kind of goes along the lines of what we were saying earlier regarding Leicester players and Armati and Justin, Castagna, Albrighton, where they can fill in places or, or, or they're moved into places on the field either during a game or more than likely with Leicester at the beginning of a match, actually, because of the, the lack of players. But they're, they're not filling that place. They actually are... They're a decent right back. They're a decent left back. They're going to be competent in that place rather than say a Sissoko playing uh, fullback and, and and having a shocker after. Well, as you mentioned, Aurier, he, he just he can throw the odd proper clanger in, can't he? And and that really was one. I don't know what he was doing all game, but Sissoko moves back. He's not a right back, and he, he for the goal, Bosch. There you go. No worries. And um, but, but, but with our players, of course, they're going to make errors, etc. But if you put Armati at centre-half, you know he's going to do a, a job there. You know he's going to be competent. You move into right-back. Exactly the same. And and then Leicester really just maintained the game. I, I was... Again, there was there was no... Especially in the seconds... In the final 10 minutes. It almost... Leicester were more than likely going to get a third than, than Spurs were going to get uh, one back or... Or even think about maybe getting a draw or a point from it. it, it they really played well, and their um, their in-game management. How about that? Is a um, is is something that's mentioned an awful lot, and is a is a nice term to throw around. But uh, their in-game management was again very good. The final final five to ten minutes, the ball was down the Spurs left, our right wing, and and for an awful long time. And I think you can look at when we mentioned this before. Um, we started going in depth on the game, but about Spurs having that one game where they were off the boil and it was just maybe that one game too far where they're just going to give you know a 95, a 90 performance like we did against Everton. I think the final kind of 10 minutes really showed that. It, they, they didn't really throw the kitchen sink at getting an equaliser or trying to get anything back in the game. And um, there was one really annoying aspect of the game though. And that was nothing to do with Leicester. It was nothing to do with Spurs. It was to do with, if you watch the game on Sky, the fake crowd noise. Started watching the second half because for the majority of the first half, I was listening on the radio, as I mentioned, coming back um, from the studios and that. And uh, and Sky were playing this clapping 
noise, as in the ball's gone out for a goal kick or or whatever after a, a nice piece of play, and there's a, a round of applause. Now, 60,000 people at the Tottenham Stadium are going to make quite a noise when they're all clapping as a as a polite kind of, yeah, nice play, nice play, you know. And they just decided that, to have that on repeat. And it was, after about five minutes, well, what's this noise? So I was like, have I gone mad? Have I, you know, first of all, you know, you, you kind of pinch yourself. Have I gone mad? Um, happens a lot. And then I went on Twitter to have a look if anyone else had noticed. And gradually you saw the post go, of someone at Sky, like, just gone to the toilet and left the, the clapping noise on. And it became so annoying. So I had to turn it onto the, uh, onto the kind of real-time noise, you know, the, the people shouting, etc. And then all you can hear is Casper Schmeichel. And it's quite amazing. I do like listening, actually, without the crowd noise. But um, all you can hear is Schmeichel barking orders, clear it. Very basic as well, which I really like. And um, and when Armati came on, <laughs> every time... And, and this is what a lot of people listening to this, you kind of want at situations. You tune it up and the ball's kind of bouncing around the area, sometimes in the area. And Armati's there, and you're just like, just put your foot through it. And all you can hear Schmeichel all the time is, volley it, smash it, uh, you know, away and all this. Every time Armati's near the ball, just smash it. And every time he does it, all he can hear is, good lad, well done, good lad. like And it was great, because it was just old school defending, which is vital at places. And I still think Leicester do it quite well, because as much as you can knock the ball around all the time, you do see... Evans, uh, the likes of Armati, Fafana even, you know, the, the baller we bounce, you think, actually, I'm just going to leather this as hard as I can. And they do. And you think, well, fine. Yes, you want to try and knock the ball to a Leicester player, but sometimes that's what they need to do. And uh, it was entertaining. But if anyone else anyone else thought that they heard uh, weird clapping constantly for about 10 minutes, yeah, I had to turn it off. It's more interesting sometimes just to listen to the players, isn't it? Because it's a luxury that you don't necessarily get when you go to watch it in the stadium. Uh, the only time that you'd probably hear it, I, I remember going um, down to Filbert Street on, on family night football when the reserves used to play. And I used to be amazed at how loud the players were because when you're watching a game where the stadium's full of 20-odd thousand people, uh, as it was at Filbert Street, or even 30-odd thousand most of the time these days at the King Power, you've got no hope really of hearing the players because there's always a constant rumbling of uh, people muttering, talking, chanting clapping whatever you don't get the full effect of it maybe if you're on the first few rows and you're writing it behind a goal or something you might hear a bit more of Schmeichel but it is quite nice to listen to the game sometimes just with the natural stadium sound on and and it, it just shows another it's it's just clears things up even more so of, of how good a communicator Schmeichel is and how good of a leader he is from the back and that you know that I think that's a reason why a lot of captains are centre-backs or goalkeepers because they can see absolutely everything and he's constantly talking to everybody on the pitch. You know, you hear him when somebody gets a ball in centre midfield, if if Tielemans or indeed he's been given the ball in a tight situation, you'd hear Schmeichel giving them sort of verbal instructions as to what's around them. Um, you know, can they take a half turn? Can they take a touch? Can they... Uh, uh, can they come back to the to the keeper? Can they switch it out to the other side? And and he's constantly he must have a proper sore throat afterwards because he really is the leader on the pitch. And I think he'd be like that if he, if he didn't have the captain's armband on. But it's a real um, it's a reason why he is is and has become the natural successor to Wes Morgan because he possesses that that commanding voice, the constant instructions. You know, not a ball 
drops in the Leicester half where Schmeichel's not given out the instruction as to what to do with it. And you're absolutely right. Amati comes on. Don't let him get up to the speed of the game and try and start fanning around with it. Just absolutely put his foot through it. Um, and he did it most of the time. I think he shanked one, which I was a bit, which made me sort of a little bit nervous. But overall, he was fairly solid, wasn't he? And and it is interesting to hear that. But that that clapping stuff was was rubbish. I think somebody got the the button stuck or something and just left it on. It was terrible. Oh, it's horrible to listen to. I think overall, when it comes to who was say man in the match, my 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 best player on the field. I thought Wilfred Ndidi had an excellent game. Man of the match for me would be probably James Justin, an exceptional performance and a performance of which you're becoming accustomed to now with James Justin. He is developing into a top-class attacking fullback, but would also be a very competent right-sided of a three-centre-half defender. He's developing in front of our eyes almost game by game and the bigger the game the bigger influence he's having on the games and it's just great to see and we know about his versatility playing on the left playing on the right he is a very very important member of this side I think I would just maybe give him ahead of Wilfred and Didi but and Didi very pleasing coming back into the side his height but also his distribution his we know he's such a good tackler of the ball interceptor and he's now playing in the Mendy role, who, who's who been great all season. I thought those two really kind of stood out. But then again, you're talking about players who probably got kind of 9 out of 10s away from everyone else who was an 8 out of 10. So it was a great performance. But I would just maybe have Justin uh, ahead of Ndidi. I think lots of people may have had it the other way around. But uh, yeah, for me, Justin, just ahead of, uh, of, of the Big Bad Wilf. It's nice to have so many options and not know who to give it to. Uh, for for standout performances, isn't it? I think just because of of the way that he's managed to come back into the team recently and and show what we've all been missing, which which we did, I don't know necessarily if we fully appreciated it. Obviously, we're aware that Wilfred Ndidi is a hugely important player to Leicester City, but the way Mendy was playing, there were um, it, it was kind of like we knew we were missing Ndidi, but we didn't really sort of. It's difficult without seeing and having seen Ndidi for so long. It's difficult to see what he brings more to the team than the Mendy. But I think yesterday and Spurs absolutely highlighted that. Would we have been so effective in the middle of the park at nullifying the Spurs threat if Mendy had played? And the answer is probably not. Um, well, the answer is almost almost certainly not because Ndidi. I think the stat was he made the most recoveries in the Premier League this year in terms of recovering possession. Um, and he's just got that physicality that Mendy doesn't quite have. Um, and more than that, he's got that he's got a positional sense, which, you know, Mendy knows that he's got to sit the deepest of the midfielders, fine. But Ndidi seems to sense danger and be able to get there in a ridiculously short period of time to shut things down very, very quickly. And I think he was absolutely outstanding and looked every inch the Wilfred and Didi that we that we know and love and it's great to have him back at, at full strength. I think many people are really impressed with Ndidi. Uh, the three word reviews were in. Uh, now Perko, uh, were we playing? He's put about Sky and Astro and he seemed to mention Spurs. Yeah, it, it gets labelled an awful lot but uh, Spurs were ahead of us in the league at the time and uh, and 
they also on Sky this is they they kind of moved on from the game pretty quickly because it was all about the the main Super Sunday game for them United against Leeds. Uh, but I think you're watching on on or some kind of weird link. I'm not entirely sure because you made a, a few things on Twitter. Anyway, that was Perko. Um, very accommodating defenders. Uh, if only our home form was as good. Not entirely sure that that's three words, but we'll go with that. Indeed, he's top quality. Uh, my pessimism's gone by Glenn Richardson. I think that's going to be the be- the best one so far. Uh, on to Twitter. Same again, please. Ho, ho, ho from Perco. So he's obviously got over uh, the uh, the TV stuff. Uh, the Jamie Vardy. We've got Big Bad Wilf. Uh, despite effing VAR. Yep. Spursy, Spursy, Spursy. Christmas came early. Brilliantly ground out. Absolute mad scenes. Complete professional performance. I agree with that. Uh, an excellent win. Wilf is immense. Uh, we've got total team win. Second for Christmas from the Indie Foxes. Hello. Uh, we've got great Christmas present. Yes, it was. Uh, and best team won. Uh, there you go. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. Fucking brilliant, obviously, with Christian Fuchs there. Uh, yeah, there we go. I think um, the pessimism, I, I quite like that because the one thing Leicester have done this season, and we hope they don't need to, but of course they will, any side will, They've got over defeats and have turned it around with either ground-out victories, you look at, say, Sheffield United or, or, or games of that ilk, or they've thrown in a brilliant performance like this game against Spurs. So they've not dwelt on defeats. Yes, they've had two or three defeats on the bounce, but again, teams are going to go through those runs. You don't want them to turn into five and sixes. And they've done that very, very well this year. You hope it will continue. But again, we want to be in the position where we're on a run of victories and then after maybe one defeat or even, who who knows, guess we maybe even draw a game. Something that hasn't (laughs) happened at all in the Premier League, that is, this season. So if we do eventually get a draw uh, to stop a winning run, then to turn that draw then back into a win would be great, rather than, say, halt a, a one or two or three defeats on the bounce. But it shows character, because to go to Spurs and do this, that is some results. And it goes alongside all the away results mentioned about the home form there. Vardy was asked in an interview on Sky after the game, first of all about his injury and he he always plays things down but he he looked very very casual about it oh yeah you know it's nothing it just happens occasionally hopefully it's just that little niggle he gets you know if he's been um if he's been running hard playing a certain amount of games and hopefully he's just basically told to right don't want to see you until you know to do a bit of training christmas eve box uh christmas day and then ready for the for the Boxing Day game. So hopefully he's going to be fully fit for the United game. What you don't want is it to turn into a real problem. Uh, but you want to see him out there on the field as well. You don't want to see a half-fit Vardy. So hopefully it's not going to be an issue for uh, Manchester United. But if you wanted anything positive from an interview, he gave it you because he, yeah, it's absolutely fine. Um, yeah, overall, fantastic. Let's move on then to the... United game we've got the best part of a week off which in the build up to a boxing day match is is fantastic to to rest the legs it it allow uh, the medical team to assess players like Ndidi who's still getting back up to match fitness Castagna obviously and and, and Marty see how they came through but also like you say to give Vardy some vital days off and just to make sure that he's managed well enough for the boxing day game 
Manchester United are an interesting one because there is a huge amount of negativity still surrounding them um, from media mainly, also certain sections of supporters, probably more so supporters of other teams. But they stuck a fair few past Leeds yesterday. Uh, they're up to third in the Premier League table and that they they've they've built up a bit of a head of steam after a fairly indifferent start um and they're not quite the the sort of soft oligona Solskjaer Manchester United of maybe 6 to 8 weeks ago that that you would probably rather play on boxing day it's going to be a real test for Leicester um and it's it's one that I really hope that we've got Jamie Vardy for because I think, well, I, I I don't think I know um, that we will be a much more potent side with him in the starting lineup than say Kelechi and Acho or or Barnes or Perez playing through the middle. So, get him rested, get him patched up, and get him through the United game. I'd I'd much rather see him on Boxing Day and then rest him for the Palace game a couple of days later. But I think United's going to be a very interesting one. It'd be a really really good one to actually be able to attend in person wouldn't it and I know most games would and most people everybody's missing that but it's a proper when the fixture list came out you always look at Boxing Day as as one of the key fixtures you always oh, who have we got on Boxing Day when United have come out and now they're playing quite well it makes it an even more attractive prospect of a game um, Boxing Day lunchtime you've probably by then just about recovered from from Christmas Day however you're spending it this year and uh, settle in to watch, hopefully, what's going to be a cracker of a game. Yeah, it's the early game, isn't it? It's 12.30, and United, have they turned a corner? Is this a new dawn? All this sort of thing. Well, first of all, I don't care. And secondly, um, you'll have to look at the form in the Premier League, and you've got to be impressed. They've won uh, six games. So if I just reel these off in the Premier League... Uh, six of their last seven, they've won away. And the interesting thing for me, it's the goals. So the goals scored. So they win away at Everton 3-1. Uh, then they beat West Bromwich Albion in a 1-0 win at home. Yes, just the one. But then they score three away at Southampton in a win. Then they go to West Ham and score three in a win. Uh, they draw against Manchester City at home, but still a good result. They score three goals at Sheffield United. And then they put six past Leeds. So that's shows for me where they have improved and it's going forward they score goals uh, one player who really frustrates me if I was a Manchester United fan is uh, Anthony Martial but he looked sharp and quick and agile and pacey and dangerous against Leeds I think anyone would in with against their defense but still he's really starting to play well uh, Rashford's always going to be uh, dangerous Fernandez is a fantastic player for scoring goals and assisting goals. He gives the ball away an awful lot, but he's given that complete license, isn't he? That they are a dangerous team going forward. Are they get atable at the back? I'm going to use the word get atable is certainly what you can label Manchester United. We all know about the old Maguire at the back, but the rest of the side at uh, the left back, sure, I think he's terrible. I think he's a bad fullback. Uh, they've got Tellers who was rumoured to be Leicester signing more than rumoured really and he's had a few injury problems but he might play I know Shaw played against Leeds I think at the back 
we can we can score against United. I, it's the other way round. It was a very disappointing game, wasn't it? At the end of last season, I think this is going to have no. That's going to have no bearings on this game at all. It looks it looks on paper like a brilliant game, as you said, and it looks like there's going to be a lot of goals. The early kickoff, I don't think you can underestimate that at all. I don't like what twelve thirty kickoffs have always been for me low scoring encounters. Now you can of course bring out a 3-3 three, three or an odd 4-4 four, four. but they predominantly lower scoring encounters I remember um, when I was working in, 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 in a different job uh, we, we used to basically have a go on the early kickoffs and do the, the double on nil-nils essentially that's what because there was so many nil-nils in the early games especially say at half time you almost got to half time in the early kickoff going oh, actually nothing happened I think that could well be the case here as much as I think the attacking talent on show from United is going to mean that they're going to score, and I think they probably will, I just can't see Leicester drawing a blank, even though it's at home and they need to sort out the injury problem, uh, the uh, the problems with their their, their form at home. I, I, I'm leaning towards the draw, which is mad because we haven't had one yet, but then again, more than likely we will do at some point this season. I could maybe see it getting to the point in the game, in the second half, where it, it more than likely, I, I think 1-1 is going to be my prediction because I think both teams eventually will score. I think it probably will be goalless at half time, But I can see maybe both teams scoring and almost in the final kind of 20 minutes, 15 minutes. And I think this would happen actually quite a bit over the over Christmas, but especially on Boxing Day, with the games coming up thick and fast. I think there might be a dearth of late goals, I think teams, depending on who they're playing against, but if you're playing against a, a, a league rival, which United, of course, are, as being in second and being in third, I think in the final 15 minutes, they might go, hang on, we'll, we'll, we'll take the point here and move on to the next game and make a few subs or whatever. And I think both sides will probably be happy with the points. Saying that, obviously I want three, but I'll, I'll go for a 1-1. I was I was thinking one one as well myself. I was thinking score draw. I think you're absolutely right. The the thing that most clubs will be thinking about over the festive period is to make sure that they're still in the game come sixty sixty five minutes. Uh, so I think that coupled with the early kickoff could mean that it's quite a cagey um, affair where both sides are relatively happy to keep the ball in front of the opponent and not really push too much. But hopefully it does open up a little bit. Um, They've got some players that can seriously hurt us, but then again, so have we. Um, so I think it's, we're quite evenly matched, really, in the sense that we've got a lot of good feeling around the squad and around the team, um, and we're in a good league position. Manchester United have built up a, a good run of momentum. They're scoring plenty of goals, um, and they'll want to try and continue that for as long as possible because I think that's probably something that Solskjaer struggled with the most is is getting them back on track after after disappointments. It seems to take them a little while. They seem to reel from uh, defeats and, and not be able to get pick themselves back up and crack on very quickly. So he'll know that at the moment they're picking up some positive results, but that could very quickly change. And I think they're, they're quite fragile in that sense, Manchester United. So hopefully we get at them. Um, do you know what? Because you've gone for a draw, I'm going to go for us edging it 2-1. Oh, there you go then. So, so either one, one or two, one. Well, I'll take the two, one for you. And then I suppose we'll look as well to the game against Palace. 
So that's three o'clock, two days later. That's going to be really difficult. I think there's going to be a lot of changes. You, you really can't not envisage both sides, say, making a lot of changes. Um, looking at the fixtures over Christmas, you then look at their Newcastle away um, when we get to 2021. So there is a little bit of time then between the two. Not a lot, but still a little bit. It's gonna that has got nil nil written all over it for me, <laughs> or maybe a one nil win. It's always the case at Palace. Hopefully, I think we. I, I, I like Palace. They're um and and you got you got old Uncle Roy down there and everything. It's they're they're a an easy team to hate for a casual football fan. I think because of their. Uh, resilient style and kind of going forward there's not an awful lot of kind of there's not a focal point up top and and the ones that they do have are generally pretty poor you know ben benteke is an easy person to laugh at and before they've had strikers who have not quite kind of scored your your 15 20 goals and they've got wolf zaha we all know and but this year, you know, Eze's coming to the side and he was exceptional last year in the championship and he's brought an awful lot of flair, except kind of a Wilf Mark II, really. So Zaha and, and Eze, good players. They've got Benteke in the centre, whether he starts, who knows, they might play Ayu, they can chop and change around. But overall, they're a solid side. I do like them because they, they, they still remind me of a little bit of a Leicester of of the 90s so I don't mind Palace at all and also they're quite an easy side to cheer on when they play one of the big clubs at home and it's a game that's normally on TV because it's skylight that kind of that narrative and also that they've produced um, really good performances at home and again it's, it's they're a decent side to cheer on the, the fans annoy me those uh, those like 25 kids in the corner making a bit of noise that apparently is similar to the San Siro I'm not entirely sure what what that's all about but it's uh, it's a game which is evidently winnable for Leicester, and we've had a quite a bit of success there in recent years. So they should go there in full confidence. I'd imagine there'll be a change side. Who knows who could be back? It was a surprise for me that Castagna came back against Spurs, but I don't think with Soyuncu and Ricardo, I don't think they're anywhere near at the moment making their appearance. So I think we have to rule them out until the new year. But still. When them two come back into the side, look at the possibilities. Then it really does look good and exciting. So I'm I'm going to go for. He mentioned his name earlier, Kalechi Iannaccio. I think this game he will start. I agree with you with regarding Vardy. Um, I think he with that knock the other day. If Vardy starts against Manchester United, depending on how the game goes, I don't think they'll want to play him for the ninety. Uh, they'll want to play say Iannaccio then to come onto the field with a look then to starting against Palace and then starting against Palace and then maybe Vardy coming on late. I think that's kind of the natural look of these two games. And I think it might be a game where someone like Iheanacho could get on the score sheet and it may be a 1-0 win or, and a little little story here, but um, I mentioned about the old Fafana first goal scorer betting and he's looking more and more dangerous. I know he missed that absolute sitter when he hit the bar uh, against, was it Fulham? Still gives me nightmares, that. But uh, when we played uh, Tottenham, when we played Palace away last season, I was watching in a pub and watching with a group of mates, group of people, 
And there's a few bets flying around here and there. And a certain player, I believe, had not scored for Leicester, but he missed a good chance from a header from a corner. And I turn around to uh, my mate's lad and says, uh, I said, it's going to be a first goal. He, he could score the first goal here. So we had, between us, a pitiful amount of money on. Absolutely ridiculously small bet. On first goal scorer in play on a certain Kadar Soyuncu at 66-1 to 1 to score the first goal, which he then, not five minutes later, did in the win at Palace. So I'm going to go for lightning striking twice, but this time not the first goal for Soyuncu. It's going to be the first goal for Fafana. So I'm going to go for Fafana first goal, and I think Kelechi will bag. So maybe a 2-1, 2-0 Leicester win uh, down at Palace. If, though, it's goalless at half-time and looking a bit drab, it could very well end that way. Well, it's either going to be drab or a goal fest, isn't it, I think? It's either going to be two tired teams playing for the second time in 48 hours with changed lineups and holes all over the pitch, or it's going to be an absolute non-entity. Uh, I want us to get back-to-back festive wins or, or hat-trick of festive wins if you count the Spurs one and I'm going to go for 1-0 Leicester with Cengiz under scoring. Ooh, lovely old job. It's it's looking at the side. I was looking at the side earlier that they put out and um, on the app of choice that I use for kind of goal flashes, etc. and tables and all that sort of thing. Um, they've got the lineup, and the lineups are all quite good. They're, they're very accurate, and um, I like to use them because they have the full set of substitutes on there and uh, also missing players as well as coaches. And they also have um, the flags of the country as well. So overall, and for our kind of job, Rob, it's, uh, it, it's, it's really good. Uh, flash scores, essentially, is the, uh, is the app. And uh, so anyway, they um, looking at the Leicester side against Tottenham, you can see Castagna on the left, then you've got your Tillemans and your Ndidi, Evans Fafana, Justin Barnes, Madison Vardy, and in Albrighton, as much as Albrighton played really well, I'm just putting under in that team and going, there's your team, there's your there's your kind of first team, or are you looking at maybe a Perez to play further forward than Vardy? So Perez slash under in that position, and that for me would be my kind of first team for Leicester at the moment. Now, what happens when Soyuncu comes in and also Ricardo? Now you're talking because as much as four at the back has worked really well, do we then go back to a three when you have Fafana, Evans, and also Soyuncu? Because then the four going forward, obviously Ndidi and Tillemans in midfield, would have. Ricardo and Castagna or, or Justin at what it, it there's there's so many opportunities so many chops and changes and it's really exciting looking forward to 2021 as everyone is um that we will have two players and the old adage a player comes back from a long-term injury oh it's like a new signing well guess what it's going to be like two new signings and those signings are Ricardo Pereira and Carlos Soyuncu Brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. So as much as we're looking to see, and we will be touching on this over the next few weeks and in January, who we're going to sign, who possibly do we sign, who do we need to sign in January, and also looking back at January transfer windows of recent years and where maybe we should have bought when we're in a strong position or we needed to cover this area, having those two players come back 
in January, more than likely, into the first team fold in the Premier League sense, it will be like two brand new signings. So you can't underestimate that and the boost that they give to the side. I mentioned about Castagna's boost, just him being inside. I really do think that was a, a big factor in the win. So as we go into Christmas, second in the league, and looking forward to the January transfer window and those games, hopefully we're still in the top four, pushing Liverpool towards the top. But also, don't underestimate those two players coming back and what effect that could have on Leicester. And it's just really exciting. It's it's a fantastic position to be in. And as much as we've had one or two dodgy defeats here and there, overall this season has been a big, big success. Second in the league, through to the last 32 of the Europa League. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas indeed. Shall we finish with the fantasy football? I know you'll be very keen to get through your top 10. Final top 10 of 2020, possibly. Christ. Um, yeah, it's 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 not been good. Just before we do fancy football, just a um, a word on LCFC women. Uh, they, they're top of the women's championship. They are flying. They've won their last four. They won 3-2 at Blackburn the other day. Um, so they're 26 points. They're one clear of Durham, but five clear of Liverpool back in third. So hopefully next season, if they get promoted, also, by the way, they're in the quarterfinals of the Continental Cup, the essentially the League Cup, of women's football and they're in the quarterfinals and they away at Crystal Palace that's an eminently winnable game for Leicester City women so hopefully they can be in the semi-finals and looking down the list you've got Chelsea you've got Man City there who knocked them out last season but there's no Arsenal who obviously with the work I do know know very well and so there's a possibility of getting hopefully a good tie in the in the semi-finals if they get that stage so Leicester City women are really flying and it just shows you when a club starts to take their women's side seriously what they can do. They can move up into the WSL, the Premier League, the Women's Super League and hopefully that's going to be the case because it's great to see the new signings that they've made before the season have made a lot of difference. Bailey Gale's been scoring goals left, right and centre and... Um, some of the news today regarding the Women's Super League and something that I've been saying for a while, I know there's games on the red button on BBC and there's games, there's one live game on, on BT, but I just wonder whether they're going to really take this seriously and hit the ground running and, and get live games on. Turns out today's news might just be the case, a link between BBC and Sky Sports to show live Women's Super League. So maybe one game possibly later on on a Sunday on Sky and the early game live on BBC One, BBC Two. So you're talking 12.30 on a Sunday because the rest of the games kick off at 2 o'clock on a Sunday. So the the early game, 12.30, live on BBC One, BBC Two on a Sunday. Um, so you can watch that game and then you've got the the men's games in the Premier League, uh, what, the 2.15 game and the 4.30 game. And then the evening game, once the world gets back to normal, that probably won't exist on in the Premier League so that slot will be taken by the live Sky Sports game in the Women's Super League fantastic you know the more football on TV the better and if Leicester City women can be in the Women's Super League when that happens fantastic the more exposure the better and um, I'd still and they will be competitive with the current side in the Women's Super League that I would put them kind of mid to lower table in the in the current Women's Super League but there you go so they're flying they're top we're second um, brilliant but as you said, fancy football, isn't it? Yeah, got him.
Right, on to the top ten then of the uh, for Fox 8 podcast Fancy Football League in tenth place. Now we are at the time of recording. There's still two games before Christmas. Uh, there's still uh, Burnley taking on a team I can't remember. Wolves, that's it. And then you've got uh, Chelsea there in action away at West Ham. So there's still those games to play at the moment and also then the subs uh, we've got in 10th place up into 10th FC Mordor Humzar uh, Yazdani he's on 853 points up into 9th importantly up into 9th it's me it's Pete Selby with Frank Sinclair own goal uh, 854 points up into 8th place it's Sam Lau uh, with 857 points down into 7th place. It's Drake Martin, Drake Water, 859 points. Up into 6th place, it's uh, Manny Kandan uh, Kezivan. That's completely ruined your name, sorry about that. 2020, his team's called, and 861 points. I think that's the first time you've been in the top 10, so well done to you. Non-mover. At fifth place, we've got John Follows with JFC Leicester, 871 points. Top four, up into fourth, Joe Healy, Les Dennis, 887 points. Up into third place, Steve Curtin with FC Vladovich Barbers, 888 points. How you've got 95 points this week, I've no idea. And then the top two haven't changed. We've got Gareth Bell with Bulldogs Forever in second, 890 points. And at the top, 20 points clear, Luke Taylor still, Taylor made 910. So that's the top 10. That will all change after today's game. So if it's not quite what it is when you're listening to this, then uh, do bear that in mind. I, after my prediction of being in the top four or five, it hasn't quite worked out. I had a dramatically poor week last week. Man City have let me down all over the place with these 1-0 wins and 1-1 draws against West Broms and Fulhams and all sorts. So I've put all my eggs in that basket. It didn't work out. But I've had a successful week this week. 81 points, uh, still with Mendy in goal for Chelsea to come. Uh, but everyone else has had really good weeks. I've captained Fernandez, so that worked out very well. Uh, just have a quick look at this uh, Steve Curtin's team. 95 points. Fernandez captain. He's got Grealish, Vardy, Robertson. He's still got Chilwell to play as well. So... Uh, he's got a very good side. Yes, it's it's really getting hot up at the top of the league. There's points-wise, just to give you some indication, you've got, um, let's go with 7th place, Drake Martin on 859 points. And then we go down to, well, let's go down 30 points because, you know, essentially that's a captain's pick. 829 points. Uh, Islin Weltsin, a guy who's been in the top 10 for an awful lot, he's in 27th place. So it, sh- <laughs> it shows you 27th to 7th place uh, is 30 points. So it's all changed there. Now, Rob, um, over to you. Yeah, we're not going to talk about me. Let's move on. Uh, I'm hoping for a better year in 2021 in the Fantasy Premier League. Thank you. Goodbye. Oh, I found you. 43 points below the average, which is bad. Calvert-Lewin, captain. you got Vardy, uh, De Bruyne, uh, not great. And you've got, uh, well, you've got Semedo, who might not play, which is what you're probably hoping for. Because I am, because Kyle Walker got eight points. <laughs> Those eight points would be precious. They might get me back in the top 100, probably won't. But I'm looking at the strength towards the top of the league. I, I'm not throwing in the town now, but I'm thinking top five will be a very good season but uh, I've got a few plans because there are 
the old double game weeks coming up and there's also one game week uh, where there's only a few teams playing so there are uh, a few chances out there but I think these top 10 these some proper players up here do you know what I mean I, I, in ninth place if you offered me that at the start of the season look come Christmas you're going to be ninth now I don't know what's going to happen after today's games but I would have accepted that because you've got something to play for. But um, I never reached the top, did I? I did halfway through a weekend, but I was second for, what, three or four weeks. I don't think I'm going to be top at any time. I'm, what, 50-odd points away. Anyway, that's it for fancy football. And that's it for the podcast until Christmas. Apart from, I hear you say, what about the Christmas special, Rob? What about the Christmas special? Well... You can listen to the Christmas special right now because this podcast is your standard, for fuck's sake, glorious podcast as it is. And we've only gone and recorded a separate Christmas special. Now, what kind of nonsense, Rob, can we hear on the Christmas special, which is available right now from exactly the same place that you're listening to this one from? Well, without wanting to give too much away, we've been asking you, the listeners, and ourselves what our Christmas wishes would be. Uh, Leicester City related, loosely in many uh, in many cases. Uh, I've put them all behind a, uh, a window on a, a homemade advent calendar of twelve squares, and we will be at random picking random Christmas wishes to do with Leicester City, uh, discussing those, um, picking out our top three Leicester players and top three Premier League players of the season as well, uh, and just having a bit of Merry Christmas music in the background, some light, hopefully relatively entertaining listening for you in the build-up to Christmas. Exactly. So you can listen to that right now. Uh, we've you know, given no things away, but we, we recorded it pretty much the same time as this. So have a very Merry Christmas, everyone. Leicester, top, well, second in the league, top of the league in terms of the women's side. It can't, can't be awful, an awful lot better, really, can it? But... Um, yeah, go and take a listen to the uh, to the Christmas special, and uh, yeah, it's a complete load of nonsense mentioned on there. Uh, I'm going to apologise right away for my Christmas wish list regarding Leicester. I'm entirely sure uh, what I was thinking, but there we go. I'm interested to hear what Robs are, uh, and and some of the listeners as well. You know, some some crazy selections and some very interesting ones and sensible ones out there. I'm glad that there are some sensible people out there, but uh, there we go. So that's it for for Vox 8. We will be back, I'm sure, more than likely the week after Christmas, uh, looking back at the games against Crystal Palace and the Boxing Day clash against Manchester United. But from me, it's a Merry Christmas, everyone. Hopefully you have a very nice Christmas, whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, etc. In all the current circumstances, have a very Merry Christmas. And also to you, Rob. You, Rob Hayes. Have a very Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, Pete. Merry Christmas to everybody. Well done for surviving this year. Uh, and hopefully 2021 is better for everybody. Thank you.